But let me invite you to, um, to turn in your Bible if you'd like to. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to, you can use one of the, the Bibles on the seats there uh, to the, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, Galatians. And it's also fine if, if you like to just listen to me read the scripture, you can do that too. Uh, you don't have to follow along yourself. There are plenty of people here who are holding me accountable and making sure that I don't change the words. You know, we've been uh, looking at this letter now for a number of months, and uh, we're going to finish it today. And I'll tell you, when I first came into this, I thought, well, this is a great letter to start as we start morning worship. It's sort of the ABCs of the gospel, but... I don't know about you, but for me, it's been, um, it's been far more than the ABCs of the gospel. In fact, it's really impacted uh, my life and, and, and how I preach, and I, I may say something about that in the sermon. Um, and uh, I hope it has for you as well. Let's read, starting with verse 11 of chapter 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, now would you speak into our lives. Cut to our hearts in a way that we would understand your word and that our lives would be transformed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said that I thought that this was sort of the ABCs of the gospel and it sounds like now that Paul is... is, um, writing to school children using large block letters that, uh, that they can see as if it's on large ruled paper and all caps. And it's an interesting question of what this means. And there are no shortage of, of suggestions. It really isn't specific from the, the text what it, what it means. Some have suggested that Paul couldn't see very well or that he wasn't very uh, proficient at writing, uh, and so he wrote large letters. Um, But I think that 
I think it's pretty clear that it's, it's not that he couldn't write well. You remember that Paul was, um, was schooled in some of the best schools in Judaism. He had grown up in what's now uh, southern Turkey, and then he had, he had gone down to Jerusalem and studied under the, the school of the Pharisees, which was the school that really took the law seriously. And anyone who studies law learns to write, of course. So Paul was very proficient at both writing and reading. In fact, I think, I think what's going on here is that uh, Paul tended to dictate his letters, and we find at the end of a lot of his letters, he takes the pen from his scribe and he makes it clear that now I'm writing this portion of the letter to you. And it wasn't that Paul couldn't write, but probably that Paul couldn't write quite as well or as neatly as the, a number of the scribes or somebody who was trained in something like calligraphy or something. So it's, in effect, Paul is having somebody else type his letter and then he takes the pen and, and he writes his own personal handwritten paragraph at the end. Some of the time it's longer, some of the time it's shorter, but it's for a personal effect, right? When you get a letter from somebody and, and it's typed out, you, you like for them to have written something by, by hand. It shows that they care. And, and in fact, that's what Paul's doing is that this is a, a love letter to the people that he had fallen in love with when he spent time there in Galatia in that a, a nearby region of Turkey to, to where he grew up. I think there's maybe one other reason here, and that is that uh, if you get a, a handwritten letter from somebody, especially from somebody that you love, and the bulk of the letter is in one handwriting, and then all of a sudden there's somebody else's handwriting at the end, you kind of wonder if somebody else co-opted the letter and added their own little postscript to it, right? And so Paul, he doesn't just write the paragraph down there. He makes it clear, no, this is my handwriting just as the words before were my words. And so this is no more or less my words here. Just as, uh, you know, the red letters, when you have a red letter edition in Jesus' letter, just as Jesus' words are no more or no less the word of God than the rest of the, the Bible that's been handed down to us through the centuries. They're all God's words. These are all Paul's words. And so now he, he draws this letter to a conclusion, and, and here's, his, here's his main point of the conclusion. You've gotten love letters from me, and you've gotten love letters from somebody else, and now it's my job to convince you that my love is genuine. And their love is not. Nick, will you close that door? My love is genuine, and their love is not. He says, all you have to do is look how love is lived out. To be able to discern who's truly loving you, and who's telling you lies whose love for you is purely self-serving, or at least mostly self-serving, or maybe even somewhat self-serving, and whose love for you is self-giving, is self-sacrificing, is in your best interest instead of his own. And so he says, look, there's this, this one group who's writing to you, and their concern is that they want to make a good showing in the flesh by forcing you to be circumcised and they're not willing to endure 
the persecution that comes from telling the truth of the gospel in its fullness. Now, this, this group is, is not quite as bad as it sounds. Okay, you remember, you remember Paul's history. Paul had been Saul before, and before he had met Jesus on the road as he was traveling to Damascus, he had physically persecuted the church. He had at least been there affirming the persecution and the stoning of Stephen, who died as, Paul, as Saul was standing there. Because he was a, a Jew of all Jews, and he took the law seriously, and he rejected Jesus and his teachings to every point. And so he affirmed Stephen being stoned. But the, the people who are writing this, this other love letter now, they were called Judaizers. And the name's misleading because you think they would just be like Saul and persecuting anyone who said anything good about Jesus. But in fact, they were far more dangerous than Saul ever was because they mixed truths together. They picked a little bit of what fit their purpose over here, and they picked a little bit of what fit their purpose over here, and and they mixed them together so that they wouldn't be persecuted in other places. These Judaizers, they, they actually affirmed that Jesus was the Son of God, God himself become man, who came to be the Savior that the Jewish people were hoping for, who was the Messiah, that he actually died on the cross for the purpose of forgiving our sins, and that he was, he was raised from the dead on the third day, miraculously, like no one has ever been, only it wasn't like a, a, a raising from the dead as Jesus had done with Lazarus and, and with other people, right? This was the raising of the dead. They all died another time, but with Jesus, he stayed alive. They believe that he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead and all of the Apostles' Creed. They affirmed the statements of the Apostles' Creed, but they added one other thing. They said, in, in order to be saved, you, the men among you, have to be circumcised. That was, I mean, that was, that was their main point. They said, believe in Jesus and be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul's deep concern was, look, this gospel is true. All those things you're affirming, they're true. But you can't add anything on top of the truth of Jesus dying for your sins and being raised from the dead, showing himself victorious over death, and still call that the gospel. Jesus, one author recently published a book titled something like, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals the salvation that's been promised by God from the beginning of time, from the time of Adam up until now and forevermore. And if you put anything else in the place of that nothing, Jesus plus this, you actually end up with nothing. You end up with a lie that isn't truly in love at all. 
In fact, it ends up being a lie that's more in somebody else's interest than in your interest. If anybody tells you Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus whatever else it is, is necessary for salvation, it's a lie, and that, that equation ends up being nothing. And that equation ends up pointing people back to boasting in themselves. Right? He says, these people, they just want to boast themselves in your flesh. Now this, did you pick up on some of the graphic nature of this text? I mean, we're talking about circumcision and about, uh, about crucifixion and about Paul's marks on his body. I mean, this, forgive me, this is a little bit graphic, but this is talking about the ripping and tearing of human flesh. Right, we tend to, to, to clean up these images in, in, when we present them oftentimes. But circumcision is messy. Especially when it's done on an adult. But it's not as messy as the crucifixion. Sometimes we clean up this in our mind as well, and we don't realize that the crucifixion, the whole concept of the cross and and, and somebody being crucified was something that was so so revolting that anyone in the Roman world would not even discuss it. It was disgusting, so people didn't discuss it. It was effective, right? It motivated people. It said, if you do the wrong things, here's what's going to happen to you. But it was still disgusting. And literally, flesh would be ripped when somebody was crucified. I saw where one person compared this to a, you know, the form of execution in the electric chair. But then I came across something else that was even more graphic. There's a, a paraphrase of the Bible that was put together um, by, a, a, by a, a group of African Americans. It's called the, uh, the Cotton Patch Gospel. And the way that they paraphrase, paraphrase Paul's verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ was this. God forbid that I should ever take pride in anything except in the lynching of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we can't picture a crucifixion very well, maybe in movies, but even still, it's cleaned up. But I think the lynchings of the Deep South are still close enough in our history to be able to see where people took upon themselves authority to brutally murder another person and how painful that would have been. And Paul says, I boast in this crucifixion. 
Now, I hope at this point you're feeling a little bit of this tension. I mean, why would Paul boast in something that was so heinous as a lynching of a person? It's because all of us in our life have to make a choice. Either we're going to boast in something that we're doing ourselves, something that we're responsible something that for, something that, that we can do, or we're going to boast in something that God has done for us. And Paul says, I'm going to boast in what God has done for us in taking the penalty for sins, which is death, separation from God, pain and suffering, Put it on Jesus. Jesus was going to take it on himself for my benefit. And the opposite of that was that people were taking that good news and using it for their own benefit to, to glory in things. Now, what, what do you boast in? I mean, what do I boast in? I said earlier that I've learned a lot from preaching through Galatians. And, and here's, here's what I've learned. So what I wanted to boast in and what I still am tempted to boast in every Sunday is my performance as a preacher. I mean, I want to be known as a good preacher. And so somewhere along the way of this whole letter and studying through this, it hit me that I wasn't thinking as much about what you all needed as I was thinking about what I wanted to be known as a good preacher. I hope it's, it's come out, but it's, it's changed. Of course, I wasn't not thinking about you before. I don't want you to have the whole wrong impression. But it was, it was out of balance. It was way, you know, when I would come uh, to Sunday morning, I'd be thinking, okay, what do I need to do to put together a good sermon? Instead of, what do God's people need right now in order to live their lives the way God wants them to live, in order to understand the salvation that God has brought to them. And now somebody else taught me, you know, never never give that type of illustration without turning the mirror back to the congregation. Otherwise, somebody will come up to you and say at the end, Pastor, I'm preaching. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you to be able to do that different. But now let, let me take it and turn the mirror out to everybody else and say, you know, what, what in your life are you boasting about before God instead of the salvation that Jesus has won for you. Right? You're probably like the Judaizers, mixing in a lot of good things, but then boasting in something else before God and before other people. Now, did you catch what the Judaizers were boasting about? Listen to this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the... The cross of Christ. Now, when I was in college, I was a part of a, a student, Christian student organization, and, and we, uh, we would occasionally go out and share the gospel with other people, right? And when we'd come back together, everybody would have to report their numbers. How many people did you share the gospel? How many people prayed to receive Christ, right? Now, let me tell you what potentially is going on here. Potentially what's going on here is that these people went up to Galatia, these Judaizers, 
This is a little bit graphic too, I'm sorry. And they actually brought back the foreskins of the people who were circumcised as a way of saying these are the people who we converted. You catch that? They were, they were boasting in the people that they brought to Christ instead of boasting in Christ. And here's where this gets dangerous. Paul says in verse 16, as for those who walk by this rule, the rule is literally like a a, a straight line or a a measuring rod that's used to lay a foundation of a building to make sure things are are straight. You know, this is the straight path. This is the the path by which you measure, by which you walk. He's been talking a lot about walking by this rule. If we boast in something other than Christ, then we set up that measuring rod in the wrong place. Whether it's conversions, and it's not bad to see people come to know Jesus. Not bad at all. But if we set up that measuring rod in the wrong place, then our boast is something else. I need to point out something else. The word boast is kind of a, a, a derogatory term in our society. I mean, we, we just think boasting in anything is wrong, right? We need to be humble. We don't boast in, in anything. But, but, but this word has a deeper meaning in the, in the Greek, and it's, it's not just that we take pride in something or we, we, we brag about it. But it literally means, John Stott said this, Pastor uh, John Stott. I've used his material in a lot of my sermons. I like to give, give credit where credit's due. He says, this word in the Greek means to, to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to, to revel in, to, to live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons and engrosses our attention and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Right? See how if you set up that, ro- that measuring rod, that rule, in the wrong place, if you glory in the wrong thing, if you boast in the wrong thing, you will be, end up off the mark and in a dangerous place. And Jesus says, boast in me. Paul says, my boast is only in Jesus and what he has done on my behalf. And now some of you are saying, well, okay, that frees me from the burden of having to evangelize. And yes, to some degree. But I was just talking with somebody recently who said, you know, I, I love who Jesus is. I'm getting into the Bible and learning about him and, and learning of his salvation and how he transformed things and even the whole uh, philosophy around it that this is somebody who came and actually lived in history and, and all of God's word paints this picture of, of God interacting with real people in real places over hundreds of, of years as opposed to God's word kind of mysteriously dropping from the sky and one person writing it down. And he said, okay, all that's great, but I still, I'm not on with this evangelism thing. And I said, I said, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Just, just spend time in getting to know who Jesus is. Glory in him for a little bit. And I, I wonder, 
I didn't go on to explain why. So just glory in him for a little bit. But I wonder if when you start to glory in who Jesus is and the salvation that he's won for you, if you don't naturally just start talking about that with other people. If it doesn't just pour out of you, and it's not forced, it's just what you talk about. Because it's, it's your horizon and your attention. It's, it's what absorbs your time and energy, and you're so thankful for that. This is one of the reasons that we're doing this community Bible reading uh, journal, I'll mention this one more time. I said I wasn't going to, but while we're doing the community Bible reading, if anybody wants that journal, those journals, it's, it's so that you can read the scripture, not just in community, that's great, but every time you read the scripture, you're asking the questions, where, what did I just learn about Jesus in this passage? What did I just learn about God's work of salvation in this passage? Where did this passage just convict my heart of sin and redirect my gaze off of this false measuring rod and onto the true, the true one of Jesus. And focusing on thanksgiving for that and prayer asking God to equip us to be able to live more and more like he desires us to, to, to boast in that brutal, graphic cross of Christ. And when we boast in that, instead of other people, we're able to actually endure suffering in a whole new way. Paul's point is, look, the Judaizers, they wanted you to go under the knife. But Jesus went under the knife for you. We've had three people in our congregation recently go through surgery, and they can tell you that anytime your flesh is cut open, it hurts. Right? Paul says, these people weren't willing to endure suffering for you. They wanted to appease the leaders back in Jerusalem, most likely, by giving them the circumcision so that they didn't have to be persecuted, endure suffering on your behalf. But true love is willing to sacrifice for the one you love. True love is like the love of Jesus who was willing to endure the pain of crucifixion and have his flesh ripped apart so that you didn't have to endure that pain and that death. I'm talking about the spiritual death, this eternal separation from God and that. True love is also like Paul, who he's already said and who the Galatians know because he believed in Jesus and proclaimed Jesus' salvation alone actually endured being stoned to the point where people thought he was dead. Right there in Galatia. They knew that he had endured this. And so they left him on the street thinking he was dead. And God raised him back up. Maybe he was dead. God raised him back up. Maybe he wasn't quite all the way dead. Paul had also endured 39 lashings. And this was something that the the Jewish leaders could do They couldn't kill a person, and supposedly 40 lashings was enough to kill a person, so they could could whip a person 39 times because that wouldn't kill them. And Paul had endured that for preaching Christ multiple times. And so he said, look, my, 
flesh bears these marks. These marks of Jesus. I wasn't crucified for you. But I was willing to endure physical suffering on your behalf because I genuinely love you and care for you. And I don't boast in you. I boast in Jesus Christ. Paul ends his letter by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. I almost ignore that last word. With your spirit, brothers. The Greek word here is kind of like brothers and sisters. They just would use the word brothers to to indicate all people. Brothers and sisters. He's saying, you're part of the family of God. Peace and mercy be upon you, family of God. Israel of God. Don't listen to these other people who are causing us trouble, trying to break up the family. But know that Jesus has won your salvation so that you could be called children of God. He said that earlier in the letter. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek that is circumcised or uncircumcised. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, Abraham's children, Isaac's children, Jacob's children, the true children of God, whatever family you've been brought into. If you are in Christ, then you are heirs of God according to the promise of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we add things into that equation all the time. We want to be able to bring something to the dinner to contribute something, and and we recognize from your word that that's a dangerous place to be. Would you help us to receive your salvation as it's offered and then pour out our lives for others in true love for them as Paul did. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, asking him for the strength to do it and the ability to let go of our own pride and to boast and to revel and to glory in him alone. Amen.